Welcome to this edition of Community Matters Podcast, where we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of Community Associations Institute's Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley Chapter. CAI often gets questions from community association managers and homeowner leaders on the topic of service and support animals. These questions range from what the difference is between a service animal and a support animal, the state and federal laws that apply, and how to evaluate what may constitute a reasonable accommodation request for a service or support animal. We'll discuss these questions and more with Jeffrey Brenner, Esquire, a community association attorney with chapter platinum sponsor, Marcus and Hoffman, located in Media, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Jeff, and please tell our listeners a little bit about Marcus and Hoffman. Thank you, Tony. My name is Jeff Brenner, as Tony noted, and I am a partner in the law firm of Marcus and Hoffman. We are a full-service community association law firm, and we represent over 350 community associations. We handle a broad range of legal issues, which include transactional matters such as real estate, contract review and preparation, loans, borrowing, financing for community associations, um, governing document review and amendment. And we work with unit owner controlled boards of directors with respect to the transition of the community from declarant to unit owner control. We also handle litigation matters with respect to unit owner collections and enforcement matters, as well as construction litigation and general litigation matters. And we have a team of fully capable attorneys who are ready, willing and able to provide quality assistance to your community association. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you have questions. That's great, thank you. And before we start, I'd like to take a moment to recognize the sponsor of this podcast episode, ServPro, highly trained restoration specialists that are local to be able to best serve your needs if you find yourself faced with an emergency. Find out more at www.servproupperbucks.com. So Jeff, let me turn to the first question here in our, our uh, interview on this topic. What laws may be applicable to community associations with respect to service and support animals? Thanks, Tony. The law concerning service and support animals arises from various federal and state statutes, and it's been interpreted and refined by both federal and state courts through case law. Uh, with respect to the statutes, the Federal Fair Housing Act and the Pennsylvania Human Relations Act generally make it unlawful for a housing provider to refuse a disabled resident or unit owner's request for a reasonable accommodation with respect to rules, policies, practices, and services when such an accommodation is needed in order to afford the disabled person an equal opportunity to fully enjoy and make use of the premises. And associations, community associations, are considered housing providers under the Federal Fair Housing Act and the Pennsylvania Human Relations Act due to their ability to establish terms and conditions related to housing in their respective communities. Service animals, um, in addition to the FHA and the PHRA that I just discussed, are permitted in public spaces under the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is a federal statute. Um, which generally does not apply to community associations unless the community associations incorporate public open space in their communities. Um, unlike a service animal, and I'll talk a little bit later, probably if Tony prompts me about the difference between service and, and support animals, um, 
emotional support animal is not granted access to places of public accommodation under the ADA. So there's a distinction there. Um, places of public accommodation, just to give you an example, would include places such as schools, movie theaters, certain places of employment and similar types of establishments. Um, in addition to the ADA, uh, under state law, under Pennsylvania law, the Pennsylvania Assistance and Service Animal Integrity Act is a recently enacted state law which seeks to protect community associations and others from fraud with respect to individuals claiming to require service or support animals. So this is a unique and interesting development uh, recently. The Integrity Act codifies certain guidelines that were previously released by the US Department of Housing and Urban Development, also known as HUD, with regard to a community association's ability in certain circumstances to request documentation to verify an individual's need for a service or support animal. So those are uh, sort of an overview of the laws applicable in this regard. Uh, you mentioned in your answer there uh, that you would talk about the difference between service and support. And I, I am gonna prompt you because I think that's an important question. <laughs> and it's something that we hear often. So it sounds like from what you said that there is a difference between a service animal and a support animal. Yes, and this is often an area of confusion. So I'm glad you asked the question. Um, it is a little bit confusing and complicated. Um, although many of the corresponding guidelines under the FHA and the HRA that I discussed earlier collectively refer to service and support animals as assistance animals, both the Federal Housing Act and the Human Relations Act draw a distinction between service animals and emotional support animals. And in that regard, generally service animals are individually trained to do work for or perform tasks for particular persons with disabilities. The work or task performed must be directly related to the person's disability. And while service animals were originally trained to assist those with visual or hearing impairments, they have become increasingly more common for people with a wider range of disabilities, which includes post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar disorder, panic disorder, and other mental illnesses, autism, intellectual disabilities, epilepsy, diabetes, hearing impairments, and other disabilities. And under federal law, service animals are restricted to dogs and small horses. Um, emotional support animals, on the other hand, are treated differently under the law. Emotional support animals are intended to provide general companionship, emotional support, and comfort to individuals with psychiatric disabilities and other mental or emotional impairments. Emotional support animals, do not need to perform specific tasks and they do not require any specific training, certification or registration. Let me turn to the question of pets, um, regardless of whether or not an animal is considered or designated as service or support, is the animal considered a pet within the community association context? This is, this is another question that we often get from community associations and it's a, a big point of confusion. And generally speaking, any pet restrictions that are included in a community association's governing documents would not be applicable to service or emotional support animals. Service and emotional support animals are deemed a reasonable accommodation under the law. And on that basis, pet restrictions do not apply and would not apply. Uh, and just to give you an example, uh, if an association's governing documents in particular, let's say the declaration governing a community association provides that there shall be no animals other than small animals such as dogs or cats as household pets, and in that case, no more than two shall be permitted in a unit or dwelling. And let's say a unit owner of that particular unit already has two dogs as pets 
in his or her unit and she makes he or she makes a request for a reasonable accommodation for a third dog, but as an emotional support animal, the pet restrictions set forth in the governing documents would not apply to prohibit the unit owner from maintaining the third dog in that unit if and to the extent the reasonable accommodation request is granted by the association in accordance with the laws that we've already discussed. That's an important distinction, I think. How should a community association evaluate a reasonable accommodation request for a service or support animal? We often tell community associations that they should ask themselves the following two questions as a starting point. And the first being, does the individual who's making the request have an observable disability or does the community association already have information giving them reason to believe that the person has a disability? That's the first question. Second question is, has the person requesting the accommodation provided information that reasonably supports that the requested animal provides some form of assistance and or support relating to the disability? So those are the two questions. If the answer to both of those questions is yes, then we believe the association should likely grant the reasonable accommodation request for that particular animal. Now, if and to the extent the individual's disability or the disability related need for a service or emotional support animal is not readily apparent or known to the community association, then the association has the right to request that the individual provide certain basic information to confirm that the individual is disabled and or has a disability related need for a service or emotional support animal. Um, and I wanna mention that the individual does not have to disclose the diagnosis or nature of his or her specific disability. But if the individual's disability or disability related need for the service or support animal, again, is not obvious or already known by the association, then the individual must comply with the association's request to provide some sort of reliable supporting documentation. Let me ask you a little bit more about the, the, the documentation. What types of documentation would you consider to be sufficient to support an individual's reasonable accommodation request? We think some of the documentation that would be sufficient, for example, would be a determination of disability from a federal, state, or local government agency. Um, secondly, a receipt of disability benefits or services such as SSDI, Medicare, Supplemental Security Income, uh, Veterans Disability Benefits, services from a vocational rehab agency or disability benefits or services from another federal, state, or local agency. And then thirdly, um, one reliable form of documentation under the FHA and the HRA would be a note from a person's healthcare professional that confirms a person's disability and or need for an animal and, and the next part I want to emphasize, when the provider has personal knowledge of the individual. So I'm going to follow up on that note, um, because one of the sort of common issues that we get from community associations is uh, what happens when you get documentation or certifications that an individual may obtain from the internet, for example, in support of a reasonable request, um, sorry, a request for a reasonable accommodation regarding assistance animals under the FHA. Um, and in that regard, uh, HUD recently released guidance, which indicates that this type of documentation, which isn't supported by personal knowledge of the individual, um, is not by itself sufficient to reliably establish that an individual has a non-observable disability or disability-related need for assistance animals. So if you get um, 
if a community association is presented with a certificate from some sort of registry that was obtained on the internet and it doesn't appear to be supported by personal knowledge of that particular individual, then the association would have the ability to request additional information. Jeff, I'm sure there are situations where a community association has denied a reasonable accommod uh, accommodation request for a service or support animal. Um, I'm assuming that this is uh, something that the association can do, and if so, what are the circumstances under which uh, they can deny such a request? Yes, and, and some of this, this will be sort of repetition of what I've said above, but in a different, uh, stating it in a different way. But yes, if the individual has an unknown or non-observable disability or disability-related need for the animal and is unable to provide any reliable documentation showing that they are disabled or have a disability-related need for the animal, and the association could deny a reasonable accommodation request for that animal. And in addition, uh, a community association may refuse a reasonable accommodation for an assistance animal if the specific animal that's being requested poses a direct threat that cannot be eliminated or reduced to an acceptable level through actions the individual takes to maintain or control the animal. So um, this is a little bit of an extreme example, but if somebody wants to have a tiger um, and you can't, you can't ensure the, uh, the safety of that particular animal, then you could certainly deny that request. I think we've probably both heard of Stranger Things, but one never knows, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, have there been any recent updates or developments in federal or state laws concerning the rights and obligations of housing providers in terms of service or support animals? Yes, and I did allude to this early on in the discussion, uh, but Pennsylvania recently enacted a new relevant law which seeks to protect community associations from fraud with respect to individuals claiming to require service or support animals because as some of you may have heard, there have been occasions when people have, um, we believe, sought to abuse the process. Um, and that is the Pennsylvania Assistance and Service Animal Integrity Act. And it codifies guidelines that have been previously rele released by HUD with regard to an association's ability in certain circumstances to request documentation verifying an individual's need for a service or support animal. Um, and one of the things that I'd like to, to really point out here is that an important component of the Integrity Act is that it imposes penalties against those individuals who misrepresent themselves as disabled or misrepresent their animal as an assistance or service animal. And in addition, it relieves community associations from liability for injuries caused by a person's assistance or service animal permitted within property controlled by the association as a reasonable accommodation to assist that person with a disability under the FHA, the ADA, the HRA, or any other federal, state, or local law. So it does provide some important protections that didn't exist previously. I'm glad you mentioned that Pennsylvania update because that's something that CAI's Pennsylvania Legislative Action Committee had a role in. I believe it was either a year or two ago. That legislation was originally intended to apply only in a landlord-tenant situation, and the CAI Legislative Action Committee uh, was able to successfully get an amendment introduced that uh, brought that legislation into the community association uh, regime as well. So I just want to tout the, the work of the Legislative Action Committee there. Um, last question for you, Jeff. What other steps should community associations consider taking in conjunction with reasonable accommodation requests for service or support animals? We typically recommend that community association boards of directors prepare and have adopted a set of reasonable rules and regulations regarding service and 
emotional support animals to assist the board and or its community manager in better managing both existing reasonable accommodations for assistance animals that may exist in the community, as well as any future requests for service or emotional support animals in the community. Um, in that regard, also, we think it's important to establish reasonable rules and regulations because the association not only has an obligation to make reasonable accommodations in certain circumstances, but also an obligation to protect the interest of the other residents and unit owners in the community. And these rules and regulations would, would be helpful in that regard. Uh, for example, the association could potentially require unit owners or residents with service or emotional support animals to agree to clean up after their animals, to ensure the animal is under their control at all times, to prevent and assume responsibility for damage to property or personal injury caused by that anim animal and so forth. So um, we believe it may be appropriate also to have the association request that those who maintain service and support animals on the property provide the association with identifying information for their particular animal or animals and keep that information up to date so that the community is informed and able to better manage that process. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining me today for this episode of our podcast. This has been very good information uh, that will be helpful to our community association managers and homeowner leaders. If you'd like more information on services provided by Marcus and Hoffman, please visit them online at www.marcushoffman.com. I'd also like to recognize our sponsor one more time, SurfPro of Upper Bucks. Find out more at www.servproupperbucks.com. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai-padelval.org. And thank you for listening.